namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddhang dhammang sangang namasami So, I hope this is a nice evening for you, Tim and Hito. Special day, huh? Yeah. And I guess you've been considering this, turning this over for a while. You've probably listened to many talks and shared this situation for a while, got to feel something in it about it, encourages and interests you. And uh, uh, clearly, you'll probably hear a lot more. and. I really don't know what to say, actually. Um, the, um, just to perhaps to reiterate uh, many of the touching into many of the, the uh, aspects Ajahn Amaro pointed out, um, uh, what this uh, is about. Um, now it's not just uh, it's an occasion for all of us, actually. It's an occasion for all of us. Why we have an occasion? is because everybody's there. And it's a very sort of tremendous, it's a really occasion for askers to be quite sincere, you know, and to share as we listen to these two men, or if it's women, two women, whoever, really making a determination in public. You know, in a very clear and very exposed way. Uh, and something is about that that just brings forth our sense of respect. You know, only putting themselves out there in front, this is what I'm doing, and uh, going through this formal procedure. Prostrating. Uh, this is not a, a casual gesture. <laughs> and say, you know, and that's that's the beginning, you know, that's the entry. So we something quite sincere and and with some strength in it is being presented and in that we can all whatever they're saying the words are we can all perhaps resonate with that sense that there's an occasion here somebody's actually really making a strong declaration to test themselves to put aside the normal the knowns whatever they're doing, you know, is putting aside quite a bit of the stuff that would normally, we, we kind of would form within, you know, a domestic situation, a job, our ability, you know, to, to in some ways feel we can have our own way. And I think one of the, you know, with the unspoken precept is this is where we actually come to serve the Sangha. And it's a place where, I think as Ajahn Amara was alluding, we're not going to get our own way. You know? And if we if we live anywhere, if we have any sense of, you know, this is my that mine, it's really about my choice to do. 
I want to do this, I want to have something to eat, I'll have it. If I can, at least I've got that ability in that sense, I want to switch something on, I will. I ever want to lie in bed this evening, I'll do it. You know, what's the, it's my life. <laughs> and isn't it? Of course, isn't it your life? Yeah. But is it? You know, it's your lifestyle. It's the style in which we've all grown up to some extent in various degrees of apparent freedom. And, uh, you know, I guess we've all, we've all been well fed. Okay? We could all have the capacity to earn a living and we've got education. And yet, and we could, in our teens and twenties, start experimenting where we're going and who we're going to hang out with and what we want to do and travel. There's a lot of opportunities. And we could choose partners or other opportunities. And we gave them up. We didn't give them up. We gave them up because they weren't taking us far enough. It wasn't because we didn't have any strength or willpower or interest. Just this was not taking me far enough. It wasn't taking me where I wanted to go. It doesn't mean I hate houses or despise people with jobs or look down upon people who are married. Fine. But this wasn't taking me far enough. I didn't, I didn't get the feeling something else started to call. Uh, and, you know, just the sense there is a call. And it's, a, it's religious, it's spiritual. There's a call, something that's not about the stuff that normally shapes our lives, that, conventionally speaking, gets a lot of investment in it. The money, you know, the sense pleasures, the entertainments, the restaurants, fashion, styles, you know, stuff that gets a lot of cred. Progress, good job, promotion, stuff that people will fight for, struggle for. So, Something else begins to whisper or call in a louder voice than all that. And that such a thing can occur for, you don't mind me saying so, ordinary people, <laughs> such as you and me. Yeah. That's quite, um, that's something to listen up to, you know, and to bear in mind to not lose that sense of call, the inquire to get into something. Where's that? It's called faith. It doesn't mean belief in anything. It actually, in the way that I would understand it, is though, yeah, a home is in Ilford or Berlin or wherever, but not really. We look at it more broadly, all our homes have been in the world of sense consciousness, sight, sound, touch, hearing, odors, fragrance, and 
the measuring mind, the thinking, measuring, planning, opinionating, dogmatic, believing mind. That's where we lived. We just changed the furniture, changed the geography. But actually where we lived, where we placed our home, was some within this cascade of consciousness. Because where else is there? Sight, yeah. Touch, sights, sounds, fragrances, tastes, touches. And above all, above all, the thinking, measuring mind, which moves around the others, decide, judging, comparing, contrasting, and reflects upon itself, thinks about itself, thinks about its thoughts, thinks about its ideas, thinks about its psychologies. It's very engrossed in it. And there's something about that that gets very dense. And in that we we get preoccupied. And this is this whole preoccupation becomes like a territory called mine, my world. My world. And then we realize there are other people and my world isn't quite the same as her world or his world. And conflict, disappointment, frustration. And in fact, my world isn't really that comfortable either. (laughs) My world is always having to keep propped up with something else to do, something else to have, something else to work with, something else to think about. It always needs more and more feeding and the food supplies begin to get rather tasteless, lose their flavour. We've had enough of thinking about ourselves. We've heard the opinions, we've heard our opinions, we've heard other people's opinions. The world is flooded with dogma, medium, chat shop, chat show, chat rooms. Mm. People chat, chat, chat. (laughs) Opinions about this, opinions about that, this, that, you know. Right wing, left wing, middle wing, up wing, down wing, every, every, you know, the whole thing, blabbing away. And you're thinking, (sighs) this is just going round and round. And then, you know, what are your own opinions doing about yourself? What you should do? What you're not? What you are? What other people are? What you, what this? And it just gets very dense. And something starts to get the sense of, this is a tangle. This is a tangle. And there's a, this, what I call the call, is, which is not, it's certainly not a sound, it's some sense coming that's saying, I want out of this, I've had enough of this, I want a way out of the tangle. This tangle even though I'm fed, I'm not being brutalized, I've got a car or a flat or a partner, even though I've got a reasonable deal in life compared with some people, you know, 
I'm still not satisfied. And this isn't taking me anywhere that really makes my life feel bright, clear, confident. So something begins to dawn. And um, this is the sign of faith. It's something we should all keep remembering because one does has a tendency to domesticate everything, you know, to get mine again in Australia in different areas because of the way that human human beings are and human societies are and what consciousness is about. It seeks to domesticate, to familiarize, to get things nailed down. Measured, known. Mm. So this call is is a, is a strong one, and the, the Buddha said it rises fundamentally. Its fundamental root condition is actually not belief in anything, but what he called dukkha, things that don't add up. It's not fitting. It's not working. There's got to be more than this. I don't know where it is, I don't know how it is, but it's got to be something more than this. I want something else. So let's try. And where does that call come from? Where does it land? And then maybe this is the point at which we begin to recognize there's something else in here. Some sense of I am, some sense of being, that's not a thought. It's not a possession. I mean, it's a sense. A sense that's not associated with sight or such, town and all the others. This is called chitta. It's not really a thing, but it's a sense. It's like, you know, for example, is intelligence. Is that a thing? Is happiness a thing? You can call it. But it's actually a kind of a, an immaterial quality whereby we're able to review, sense, get perspective on what the six senses are bringing in. That's what enabled us to recognize this stuff. It's okay. But it has a limit. And it's this quality, this property, this agency, this I, if you like, this heart, this aspect of mind that also says, I want release from this. This is not my true home. This is not my true home. This is the buildings. This is the clothes. This is the name on the passport, but this is not my true home. There's something more fundamental. Why is it not a true home? Because if it was a true home, you wouldn't need to keep hanging on to it. And what we begin to recognize as we just step back from 
adopting what's seen or heard or thought, just notice it as this is this is hearing, this is a sight, this is a sound, this is a thought. This is feeling stirred up, this is feeling disappointed, this is feeling irritated, this is feeling glad. We step back from that into mm. you notice this quality awareness. And this drive to hold on to an idea or a belief or a place or something or an attitude or a quality. Mm. And we review this is just what happens for humans. And uh, it's about security, isn't it? So let's get a nice house, solid house. Well, let's make sure nobody breaks into it. Get the locks, get the padlocks, put a gate around it, get a guard. How much holding on is necessary to keep your house secure? And then, okay, fix the windows, fix the roof, got the weather gets in, shoot the rats, um, get they're getting in, get the electrics fixed because they've broken down. How much holding on does it require to have a secure house? Mm. And when is it ever secure? When is it ever free from breaking down, being invaded, and so forth? When is it ever free? When is the job ever secure from getting sacked, wages lost, so forth? When is that ever secure? Let alone relationships, where people can drift apart, lose touch with each other, fall in and out of affection. How secure is that? And the amount of holding and grasping that's needed to try to make these secure. Mm. How many beliefs will stand up on their own without us fervently proclaiming them and adhering to them and arguing with others? How of them just stand up and are revealed to us without having to figure it out and come to an assumption? How many truths just stand there and look you in the face as, as, as revealed that you don't have to keep convincing yourself of? Mm. Mm. That, that quality of grasping is so built in, we barely notice it. It sounds so coarse. Yeah, sounds so coarse, but you you look around, you see people where people get their security. They belong to a, a, a they're fans of a football club, so they get there's there's a part of their identity. They've got the rosettes, they've got the the anthems, they've got the chants, they know the teams, they've got the rattles, and they're, they're psyched up. This is who we are. I'm a this. You know how much effort goes into that to give some sense of I belong here and something. What happens if that all goes, you know, how many, and it's very much, it's sad because, I mean, quite a few, um, certainly I know cases of many, well, many, but men, working men who lost their jobs or retired, didn't know what to do with their lives, you know, drinking, some actually killed themselves, some just kind of drank and faded out because they lost the sense of purpose. 
they got they got fired or whatever. Six, 75, 70 years old, finished, and then what do you do? Your whole life's been built around this thing that eventually said, thank you, enough. Then where are you? What have you got as a refuge when those things tumble down? How secure is it? Then we put that question, mm-hmm. how much gratification is available in it? Without having to have another one and a better one next week, <laughs> how much of those fundamental human needs are being met in this level? And we have to say, not without grasping, they aren't. And when I grasp, I get tight, hold on, and I con- find conflict and I find fear and anxiety about losing what I'm holding on to. And, you know, and my identity gets established in that which I'm holding on to. If that goes, I really feel rocky, insecure. This is the... Then <laughs> the odd thing is, the so-called secure makes us more insecure because we're holding on to things that can't finally support us. And we lose something else which could. And this is, of course, what an untaught person doesn't really know. They haven't been told this. They don't really know it. There's something else that could support you. Even if you don't have the great job, even if you don't have the money, even if you don't have the entertainment, even if you don't have the house, even if you don't have that, you'll still feel more secure. And that On a worldly level, that does not make sense. And it's so, you know, it doesn't mean just becoming a a nomad sleeping under a bridge because that security is not easily revealed without quite a considerable amount of cultivation, purification, clearing away and firming up of this experience, this property, citta, awareness, firming it up till it becomes a refuge. And the Buddha said, this is the refuge. Mm. Uh, There is no other refuge. Mm. Mm. And this citta itself is profoundly affected by fear and insecurity. It needs to be trained. It needs to be brightened. It needs to be looked after. Mm. Mm. The Buddha saying, you know, if this is not cultivated, I see no freedom of fear from fear for beings unless there are these proper cultivations. Otherwise, we're always going to be on the edge of, what if I lose that? What if that goes? Make sure you have one of those. We're going to be doing that. Right. And then what do people think of me? Am I doing okay? Am I liked? Am I disliked? Am I welcome? Am I not welcome? We'll be doing that. The measuring mind will be running around trying to add up the praise, the blame, the welcome, the, the, the opinion, the status and so forth. And who's getting more than I'm getting? Oh, he's getting a better deal than me. What's wrong with that? You know, this kind of stuff will be going on. So we've got to tame primarily, begin to purify the jitta from the effects of the measuring mind, which is always measuring myself, measuring others, 
measuring success, measuring failure, planning the future, remembering the past, and generally struggling, looking for something to hold on to. And there's no security unless we are free from that, and if we're independent from that. And this kind of independence is worth sacrifice. The act of sacrifice solemnizes the occasion. It deepens it. It gives it strength. And without that determining, that solemnizing, it's just an idea. You know, and we could all have ideas about being a monk, being a nun or something. Nice, serene, always got the legs folded nicely, hands in lotus, shining. A great idea. I've never known anybody survive very long in this training who hangs on to that idea. <laughs> it's mostly about sacrifice, commitment, resolution. Stay with it. Because this is what makes us strong. And it's a strength not of the power to have what I want, but the strength that's able to be solid when I'm not getting what I want, which is a much greater strength. Everybody feels good when they get what they want. <laughs> but when we don't, this is when we start to get agitated and this isn't right, and I don't see why she does it that way, and I'm not going here, and then so there's a certain need and a, a cultivation to cultivate an independence from the measuring mind. This is no small thing. So it requires that solemnity, that aditana, determination, and the act of faith to say, well, I'll do this for a while. Because in terms of the conventions, this uh, this whole thing is very pragmatic. The Buddha was a pragmatist. It's a sacrifice, but it's not about mortification. It's not about doing your body in. It's not about straining yourself. It's just this, it's a gentle, steady relinquishment that's being encouraged. Recognizing the grasping, and this just ease up, release that just for a, a little while. But certainly in my own um, situation, my own life, then I had the, certainly had some kind of realization of this isn't working, even though I was ticking all the boxes on what was supposed to be interesting and fun and so on. Not working, and then just feeling that sense of somewhat despond, getting to the end of, I've tried all this, it's not working, what do I do, what next? I'm just tumbling into one of these meditation sessions, 
which I thought might, you know, worth a try. And just say, just 15 minutes, just meditate for 15 minutes. Yeah. Sounds easy. 15 minutes, sit there, just, what you got to do, take it easy, just got to just be with your breathing. Okay, whoa, I couldn't get one breath. Mine all over the place. But what that, but I could, I could acknowledge something there was able to witness my mind going like a crazy monkey. What, what is it that can know my mind is crazy? That was my big question. How can I know, realize that my thinking mind, my measuring mind, is crazy? <laughs> that's not crazy, that's telling the truth. What's that? This, of course, is jitta, awareness. Okay, well, I need to do that, and I need to actually have the encouragement and the support to keep, to get that measuring mind and its wishes and wills, just get it out of my, out of, not out of the way, to tether it, tie it down, so I'll get a monastery. You know, I won't have all this, so much sense impact and so many choices to make. I just, I just did that. And of course it's, um, testing to unplug. I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I could probably do a couple of weeks of this. And you know, it's a couple of weeks. Not enough. I could sense something, something stirring, something awakening. Because when I left the monastery in order to get, I had to leave, I was in Thailand, I had to leave the country in order to get a new visa. So I left Thailand, left the monastery to get the visa. Oh, while I'm out, I'll go and spend a couple of months traveling around Malaysia and Indonesia. And I realized wherever I went, all I wanted to do was sit and meditate. And it wasn't, that wasn't forced. That was like the rest of it was not happening. And I, I kept the eight precepts, not from some fundamentalist view. I just had enough. I thought, just stay with this. It keeps it simple. So I kept the eight precepts and doing meditation. And I went to all these wonderful places and they just all looked like old stories. I ended up in Bali. In Bali, there was lots and lots of people hanging out, people smoking weed, charging up and down the beaches on motorbikes. I think all I want to do is walk up and down mindfully and sit and meditate. I thought, no point in being here. <laughs> Everyone was just kind of, you know, beach parties and stuff. I just want to rising and falling in the abdomen. Okay, game's over. <laughs> get back to the monastery and some of the call had got, got rather loud and put all that aside yeah. and then you know what are you doing why are you doing this you tell your family what are you doing why are you doing this well I'll just do it for a while be interesting three months should do it and I thought well I'll, we didn't have anagarikas in the place I was at so they gave me a summon error I thought I'll do that for a while three months should do it 
Yeah, six months sort of do it. After six, after this word, my thinking six months sort of do it had risen and passed, thought, stop. Stop thinking about it. Just trust the process. Because the thinking mind cannot comprehend what's going on. Mm, where this came from. Uh, and all the measuring I make is just not working either. So just, just trust the process. And that's what I recommend, essentially, very simply. Something wants to do this. Something wants to wake up. Nobody says, you know, you, nobody, nobody says, you know, you've got to do this for the rest of your life. Nobody says that. Mm. Nobody says you should become a monk. No, I never say that. Mm. Absolutely not. Because it's not mine to say. It's too sacred. It's not to my opinion to tell anyone what to do. This is special. This is sacred. And it comes from that call. Mm. You listen to it. Because the, the challenges that, that arise are many and they come from all corners. It's called, you know, in Buddhism you have this thing called the host of Mara, which is a kind of icon. Uh, icon, which means this Mara is like a kind of, like a Satan, like a, a seducing force and the host of Mara is various qualities of passion and boredom and lethargy and doubt and worry and agitation and complaining and bitterness and stuff like that going on, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's the image, you see. And it takes all kinds of sneaky forms. And most of them seem like me. <laughs> they come in and say, what are you doing here? This bunch of deadbeats, you don't want to waste your life here. Yeah. Sounds like because usually it gets hold of my voice and speaks in my ear. And he says, "No one says, well, you know, after all, you've done a decent job. Well, six months, this ought to be all right. What are you trying to prove?" Mm. Mm. Oh. There's a quicker way to do this. You don't have to do all this painful renunciation stuff. You could just go on a six-week course with Guru so and so, so and so, and he get you there the diamond way. Easy. Just pay up. Easy. You don't need all this painful stuff. There's another one. Then you listen. What's the what's the message behind that? And you get through it. Grab hold of something. <laughs> is the message you get because the host of Mara will keep coming in into your mind. So after all, you get used to it. You hear this these voices that sound like me. And there was a certain strident or um, quality to them. Some of them sound like used car salesmen. You know, you want one of these? Got a very nice deal over here. Some of them a little more petulant. I don't see why I should have to do this. Some of them, you know, all kinds of voices. But you listen to them all. Think, what's their common quality? They all push. They all demand. They all push. They all demand. And they all say, grab hold of something. Grab hold of yourself. And how can, what could grab hold of myself? What's the self they're going to grab hold of? 
And what does grabbing feel like? And you start to begin to comprehend this this gripping, this feverish, this reaching out to grab hold of something. Well, whatever it is, grabbing is uncomfortable, gross, unsatisfactory. What would be revealed by itself without me grabbing it? Now, the, one of the main resources that we all have, which most of us kind of overlook, is this body. And again, this is another uh, theme in, in, in the life of the Buddha. Was he first of all started trying to you know, get out of his body through immaterial states, some kind of yogic trances. And then along with that, mortifying the body, the physical body. This is the body, this, this thing of meat and bones, bound up, bound to death, impurity, sickness, decay, sensuality, just get out of this. You know? And that was the quest he was on. And he realized this isn't getting anywhere either. Because this means grasping a particular view about the body or about the goal. The goal is not having a body. Um, so if we don't have that view, what is revealed? What stands up by itself? Well, there's a body here. Something's here. And what does the body reveal by itself? The body itself is not seen or heard. It has a sensitivity to it. And it's twofold. We have a tactile sense, which is always being touched by things. A lot of the time, there's a lot of space around tactile. We're not touching anything. And also is an inner sense, which deals with things like feeling tense, relaxed, excited, angry, sick. And it's saying, in this very body is the beginning of that my world begins right here, in this. And this is where you travel, and you travel through this to the end of it. And Again, this is a kind of rather mysterious, enigmatic phrase, but if you just practice breathing, sensing the energy of the breathing moving within your body, how your body brightens up when you breathe in and gets calm when you breathe out. Basic meditation. And that quality of brightening and subsiding, that's not a physical sense, it's an energetic sense. Why do you tune into that? Because that can become very um, bright. And it's there, as long as you're alive, it's there. And in this, you've got something that will never leave you, as long as you're alive. And it acts as a, an inner uh, refuge. or Because it's not only always here, It's actually a way in which we can contemplate our emotions and thoughts and yet not get caught up in them and not fight them. Because as I've mentioned, you know, things like 
worry, anger, we feel them in our bodies. We feel anger flushes into our face, fear cramps around our belly, excitement thumps the, the heart. And when we say thinking, we say to somebody who thinks, he lives in his head. <laughs> and that's such a standard phrase, you think, he's up, he's up in his head. He's somebody who lives in his head. Why do we live in a head? Why we associate with thinking? Because all the subtle muscles around the face and the head start to get energized by thinking. So when you live in your head, the rest of your body disappears and you've got a very a lot of thinking, but also this sense of a lot of energy coming up into your head. So, and you feel, so when you're thinking a lot, you feel the energy in your head and begin to acknowledge that. And by drawing your awareness down into your breathing and even down into your feet and down into your legs, you're able to discharge the energy of compulsive thinking. That's a good thing to remember. Because of all the forms of contact that stir, arouse, disappoint, excite, that present possibilities of grasping, thinking is the king and leader. And it will run. It will produce, at the drop of a hat, it will proliferate immense scenarios of my world and immense pantomimes of other people. She's one of these, he's that, she never this, he always that, present this. And that is our, becomes our main, one of our main focuses or main trainings, how to notice this, this thinking mind, its tendency to proliferate, to realize this itself is what we need to get free from and there is a way. And this way is provided or supported by the presence of the body, which doesn't proliferate, has no future, no past, does not establish me and mine. It establishes life. We take refuge, interestingly enough, in life itself. Mm. As long as this life lasts. Of course, this is not a final deliverance, but it's an extremely helpful tool where the jitta gets support to be stabilized by that presence. Be stabilized so it's not fearful, panicking. And its awareness property, its ability to be receptive and tuned in and dispassionate, is purified of these influences. This is something you just have to practice with. Inner body, that energy body, has a quality of presence that keeps you grounded. You tune into that with your awareness, you're aware of that. And you can, from there, you can always sense thoughts, sights, sounds are moving around. You can move out to them, you can move back from them, but you're not them. But you're not avoiding them, you're not rejecting them, you're just not them, (laughs) because their nature is to come and go. They're changeable, they're insecure. But you've got this. Because, of course, in this practice, as Ajahn was saying, you know, centered on meditation. Say, well, yeah, okay, but 
I come in here and do an hour or so in the morning, and then maybe do an hour and a half in the evening. Um, well, if we're doing, if we're meditating, how come we don't do it all day long? So, well, we do do it all day long. <laughs> we should do, but we don't sit in the hall silently all day long. No, that's one form of meditation. That's one way you can do it. But the idea is to do it all day long. What do you mean? What I mean is cultivating awareness and presence, noticing grasping, noticing the proliferating mind, and turning back into awareness and presence, noticing and having some say over how and what what is worth engaging with. As Anagarikas, you know, there's work in kitchens. It means there's four of you, five of you, probably with different ideas, probably with different states of energy, maybe a few different opinions. Okay? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> and as you're preparing the meal, the five of you, with the different views, that you find, okay, let's do it this way. Just, be, just 45 minutes before the meal, you're about to prepare the meal, whole load of donors turn up with some more food and move into the kitchen and things get really very lively (laughs) okay so what are you going to do about that maintain presence (laughs) keep your feet on the ground notice a sense of wanting to be peaceful or quiet or steady and just okay it's not that now aware of this just maintain steadiness presence relax come here and we start to see how we can moderate and work together this is enormous uh, practice you know really when it comes down to it your cultivation your meditation is meeting these places where we would normally grasp normally rush normally tighten meeting those places where reflexes start firing and at that very point coming into awareness and presence and let's see what we can do you know that's practice Mm. practice is about driving to the airport leaving you think yeah I've got a good two hours to get to the airport and hitting a traffic jam and watching the clock go tick, tick, tick. I think, mm-hmm, interesting. Watching the seconds, the minutes tick away. And interesting. Here we are. Insecurity. Uncertainty. Can't make what should happen, happen. Ah, oh, practice. Practice is about cultivating that point where we say, when we start to learn situations that we'd normally find infuriating, difficult, we, think we begin to rephrase it. Once you begin to understand, ah, oh, chance for equanimity to be developed. Good. <laughs> chance for patience to be developed. Good. <laughs> yeah, rather than but they should have been, I can't wait, not good. 
And so these tremendous strengths, patience, equanimity, resolution, means you keep returning time and time again to your ground, which is steady, which will always look after you, and which you can carry with you through life and into death and beyond. This is not a small practice. It's not a small thing. Everyone who, who touches it, who makes an effort with it, is worthy of respect. Everyone who attempts it is worthy of val- is, is a valuable. Is making tremendous, bringing value into the human condition. Um, others are still searching or not resolved yet. We have to, in some way not just look after ourselves, but by our practice, present, not in an egotistical way, but say there is another way. There is another way that human beings can find fulfillment. Um, May our practice grow in this Dhamma and discipline so that Anagarika, Anagarika, monk, nun, we are carrying forth for human beings some light in a world that's on fire with greed, hatred and delusion. This solemnizes our occasion. This makes it worthwhile. Mm. Tim and Hino Hito and all of us, may we prosper and dwell and grow in this Dhamma and discipline. I wish you all the best. Mm-hmm.